0: Now, before we go any further, I want you to do me a favor and take a listen. That, my friends, is the majestic bugle of a bull elk. And if that sound didn't get your blood pumping or immediately cause you to wish it was September like it did for me, then I really don't know what to tell you. So maybe we'll just give it another listen. So here we go. Did you hear anything? Well, if you didn't, let's try it one more time. Nope, nothing. Well, if you didn't hear it that second time, it's because you're probably over the ridge. The elk are still bugling, you just can't hear them. Or maybe it was you bugling to an elk, but the elk you bugled to, you got no reply, and immediately think that the elk went cold or aren't talking. In reality, they couldn't hear your call. This week, we're going to be talking about sound, how it travels in the mountains, and how a bull that you think might have shut up is still screaming his head off just over the ridge. I'm going to teach you how to gauge the traveling sounds and understand if your calls are being heard. But before we do that, I want to share the story of chasing a bull in a place I call the Five Theaters. This story takes place in a place that I've hunted a lot. We call it the Five Theaters. Now, to fully understand the story, you have to kind of understand how this place got its name. It's an area that I have hunted a lot with other people as well as my brother and it's just a place that we've got into a lot of bulls and a lot of elk but it kind of started to get its name based on the particular layout of the way that this mountain works so there's a main ridge that goes east west and then there's these finger ridges so ridges that come down to the bottom off this ridge that go north south so you've got a main mountain range that goes east west and then you've got these other ridges that drop off and each one of these has its own canyon own little creek but they're in this within i'd say it's like a three mile stretch and there's five canyons there so the first time that we ended up hunting here my brother and i got into this spot it was we hiked in and we got there before daybreak and it was still dark i bugled and a bull bugled on the ridge above us i was like okay cool so we so we get into position and we move in in the dark and we've got this we're working this bull and he is just fired up we get up on the ridge we set up as the sun starts to come up the bulls there's actually a very large herd of elk and what we end up figuring out later is they they were moving down to this lower portion this was like the lowest portion of these five canyons and feeding so they start moving up and as the sun starts to come up the herd gets Starts working and there's multiple bulls in there. I'd say like four bulls and maybe 90 cows. It's a very large herd, and they start chasing and pushing each other. So we're calling, we're getting them fired up. But there's enough activity that the elk are not really interested in coming to our call. They got their own little party going on, and it's something where now we have to kind of follow these elk or, or keep them active. So we're on this first ridge. The bulls actually, the first time we were there, the bull there's one really nice six by seven. And he's bugling below us about 90 yards and just wouldn't stop and wouldn't come in. So we got eyes on him and he drops over the ridge into the next basin. And so we, we, of course, follow. The wind's coming like the the elk are walking into the wind. So now at this point, we're behind the herd. So we get up to the ridge. We start calling. They're bugling. And they sound like they're right there, but they just happen to be across the canyon. So the way this works is each ridge drops into a new canyon. There's like a head of a like a round basin area at the head of it and then it drops down into the next one and it just keeps going like that so it's kind of like same little habitat features for the course of maybe three miles so we're calling and the bulls are there we drop down we try to there's some we're on the open side we try to stay in the trees get in the bottom the elk are across from us in the timber we're there above us we're bugling they're bugling we're getting aggressive they're getting aggressive it's like one of those things where there's it's just chaos elk bugling Everything's fired up, and in your mind you go, "Okay, we are gonna kill one of these bulls." So they're right there, and it just—I mean—it was one of those things that's thick enough where we can hear them just right there, just screaming and whatever, and we're bugling. And it's like, okay, they're gonna come in, but we—we don't—we can't get ahead of them because we don't—they'll wind us. And we just—we're hoping to call one of these elk off of the herd, maybe a satellite bull or something else. But we'd seen that bigger bull, and we're really—we're really jonesing for that bigger six by seven as well. So we're calling and things start to slow down. And it's like, you hear a bugle here, hear a bugle there. And it's like, all of a sudden it went dead. We and my brother look at each other we're like, what the heck, man? They were just so fired up. And now it's, now they're dead. But we also didn't know if like they just stopped right there in the timber. Like they weren't that close to the ridge. They were just in this pocket of timber. And we're thinking, man, they got to be in here. Maybe they just bedded down. Maybe they just shut up. So we wait and wait and nothing. So we start working our way up to the top. We get to the top, and sure enough, they're in the next draw over, bugling and just ripping like they'd never stopped. They didn't miss a beat. But to us, it sounded like they'd completely shut up and gone silent. Like, okay, well, that was the problem. They stopped hearing us. We couldn't even hear them. They just crested that ridge without us knowing, and now we couldn't hear them. So we're back on them. We keep chasing them, doing the same thing, dropping down, moving up the other side, calling. Bulls are bugling, everything's crazy, trying to get one to come in, then they go silent. Now at this point, we got smart, like, oh, okay, let's go to the top. Go to the top, next ridge over. And they kept doing this all the way till the last canyon, at which point we we got there. They ended up dispersing and and actually going silent. We didn't know where exactly they were, so we decided to wait until the evening. That evening, we got back on the elk. We never called in. Actually, later that day, called in a bull, Um but having seen that bigger bull, we, we both passed on him. And so we're like, okay, this this makes a lot of sense. The bull, we, we now know what these elk are doing. They were they were down low feeding. They got in a frenzy. They start pushing cows. They're pushing cows. And every time they would go over, we wasted a lot of time being too far behind them because they would go silent. We would think, oh, they're still here somewhere. They just went, they just shut up. But in fact, they actually just went out of earshot. So having that knowledge, the next... Uh, the, we each kind of just found this spot, so I was like, all right. I had a client that I was guiding coming in that weekday, so it was like a weekend. I was like, I'm going to take a guy back in here. There's just too many elk, and I think we've got this figured out. So I've got my hunter in there, and we start out, same same scenario. It was like the elk did the exact same thing. So we go get in at dark. They're down in this bare ridge, the lower portion of the ridge feeding. Start bugling in the morning. Sure enough, sun starts to come up. They... They are starting to come to the call, but we're a little bit in the open and there was just too many cows and the cows started moving into the wind, moving up the mountain, going up over the next ridge. So I'm like, all right, we just got to we just got to dog these things. We're going to get them to call. Same thing was happening. We bugle, we'd hear them. They sounded right there. They would kind of shut up. We'd drop down. We'd move up the other side, keep moving in, keep calling, getting this one bull to bugle back and forth. And this was just like, You could tell he was an old bull. He was just a big mature animal, big growly bugle. And it just, there was those portions where he just seemed so close. Like we'd be there and he just like, it's like he's right here. When in fact, the way that each one of those canyons through the sound, he would be up a little higher and kind of on our level. So we'd crest over. He'd bugle like he was right in your face, but he was just across the canyon. So we'd we'd stop. And then we would, by the time we got to where they were, or some of the stragglers were around, they would already be on the next side, and we'd just be playing like this game of catch-up, where we couldn't really move fast enough because of the way that you know the, the big herd was lagging behind some cows and other things, trying not to blow things out. But also, when we could hear them the best, it sounded like they were right there, when in fact they were further up. And then we'd get further up, and they sounded further away, when actually they were closer. It was just the weird acoustics, of this particular area is almost like being in uh, it's like each canyon was its own theater and you could only hear something in that theater from the audience section but when you got closer up onto stage everything sounded quiet so it's like these big bulls and each one was its own sound stage you couldn't hear anything over the other side even if you were at the same elevation it's just like this mind game of knowing the sounds and how the sounds were being thrown so i started to catch on to this and realized that the way we were hearing things kind of changed depending on where we were in the canyon and where the elk were in each one of these little drainages. So we got to about the last drainage, and the last drainage is like you you dump into this big open area where it's like this big basin, and the elk could just disperse anywhere from there. There's so, It was so thick. That last portion was like maybe a mile and a half, two miles across with just... A bunch of regen, big trees, like the elk would just disperse and bed in there, and you would have no clue where they were. So before we get to that last one, it's like the elk are right below us. Okay, we we've got them, we know they're below us. We're trying to move in unseen, but it'd been a little bit open. They they bumped over, we saw the whole, kind of heard caught a coddle glimpse of them going through the trees and still bugling and, and going after each other. I'm like, we gotta dog these things. And they dropped over into the last big basin. And normally it's like we know once they get into that after hunting it for a few days, good luck. You just got to restart. You got to reset because if they go quiet in there, you aren't going to find them. So we go over into that last basin, super thick. It's just so thick. And it's like that kind of thick where you can see you're like brush pushing through small pines. And and that's why the elk were going there. So they were going from the feed in the like in the dark. So they were going down lower into these big open grassy south faces. And then they were working their way through each of these five little canyons and then just getting into this big, thick canyon and bedding for the day and then going back and doing the same thing at night. So they'd go back down, get in the open feed. As the sun would come up, they'd get all ready, they'd chase each other up, and then they just go dispersed and bed in this stuff that's, like, so thick you can barely push through it. So we got there in time where they were still bugling before they started to shut up. So the bull's bugling, and I'm like, oh, that that's the bull we're after is a big raspy growl. And he sounds like he's like right here, but I'm like, man, based on the way things are going, he's he's definitely up across from us. He's on our same level. So we start pushing in and, and getting as close as we can and bugling in. The closer we got, once we dropped down into this canyon, we didn't hear anything for a while. Like they shut up and then we hear the bugle and the bugle did not sound close. Like it, it, it didn't sound close. And I immediately knew, I said, stop get ready get an arrow on because the way that the acoustics are in that in those trees a lot of time when a bull's coming in it like especially in that really thick stuff it made it sound like it was further away like we had more time he put an arrow on and just as he put an arrow on a big heavy bull stepped out at 25 yards just facing us and i'm like in there's this like perfect window where he's got a good shot the bull was like standing there looking, looking for something and, and starts to turn broadside. As he turns, he puts his head behind a tree. My hunter draws back. I'm like, oh, this is perfect. Just big old heavy antlers, big old mature bull. I, I figured it's probably one of those regress type bulls. Like just, he's lived a long time. His antlers are just, I think he had like five by six on one side. It was That is a big growly bugle, one that we've been chasing all day. I'm like this would be an awesome bull. And here he is 20 yards away. This is going down. My guy's drawn back, the bull stop, goes broadside. I give it a, a short meow. cow call to stop him. Stops bull, whips his head back, looking toward us. Guy releases the arrow and there was one branch that he didn't see, maybe, I don't know, six feet in front of us. The arrow hits that branch and just goes sailing. Go sailing right through, arrow swings, <laughs> swings wide and goes right through the rack of the elk and the bull runs off. He, I, we stopped. I stopped him one more time. After that, and he bugled and thick stuff, but just not, never again where we could get another shot. And unfortunately, we didn't get that bull because of that branch. But over the years, we've taken quite a few bulls out of there and realized that the way that the sound travels is just as important as the kind of calls we're making because it allowed me to decide when to make the right moves, how close the bull is, and what happens in those scenarios when. You think a bull shut down and really he's just out of earshot. When we talk about calling elk, really understanding how sound travels is as important or maybe even more important than the actual call being made. Because you cannot call in an elk that can't hear your call. What we're going to talk about this week is how acoustics in the mountain work and some of the things that I've learned when it comes to bugling bulls in that september season or it doesn't even matter maybe it's it's just hearing something in the mountains and how that sounds going to travel when it comes to being heard and hearing back there's a lot of factors that are going to come into play here especially if you're throwing out location sounds so when you're let's say you've got an archery elk tag and you're trying to figure out where the elk are a location bugle is just this long single note drawn out bugle that entices other bulls to call back And, and what it's really doing is saying hey, I'm a bull, where are the cows at? And other bulls reply, not necessarily as a challenge to that bull, but as talking to cows saying like, don't go to him, come to me, I'm over here. So it's this location bugle, because other bulls fired up, which they're doing that to try to attract cows to themselves. Now, in the mountains, primarily where where you're gonna be elk hunting, sound really doesn't travel the same as it does in large flat areas. I've been, there's places in the mountains where you could be, and you hear bugle from miles away across the valley. Then there's these other spots where the complete opposite happens. It might just be 300 yards away. There's a bull bugling, but he's on the other side of a ridge and maybe downwind. And that bull, you just, you can't hear him. So understanding this is really going to help you decide how to call, how often to call, and whether or not the calls you're making the elk like or maybe it's just they aren't hearing your calls or something happened what happens when that bull shuts up is he just out of earshot or did you do something that just maybe he, he did go silent and he's still here so that's what we're going to talk about today I think one of the first things to kind of investigate is how topography affects the acoustics of a particular area so I like to think of, in that story of the five theaters, each one of those little drainages created its own kind of amphitheater ex- experience where the topography affects the acoustics and sound. So if you think of, a, think of like a stage or a theater, right? The way it's designed is somebody in the middle can be talking in center stage and they're projecting to a room and the people in the audience are not as heard as well as the person that's standing on the stage. He's he's projecting out, that sound is traveling. It's, it's going all the way through the theater. And what's happening is people can hear that person on the stage. The same thing happens in the mountains, right? Topography can play that same game. And there's places where sound's amplified and there's places where sound is absorbed or diluted. So the loss of the sound can be magnified or the loss of sound can happen through natural barriers. So it might be something like a ridge um, that blocks the noise, maybe some vegetation that absorbs the sound or even just the wind going one direction and carrying the sound another way. You could be calling it a bull across the canyon. You hear him, but he's not responding every time you call well, maybe it's not because he doesn't like your call. Maybe it's because the wind is not allowing your call to get to him, but it's getting his natural bugle, whatever he's doing to reach you. So understanding how that sound travels is going to be a really big factor in understanding eventually the types of calls you make, how to proceed and how to move and what that bull might be thinking as you're calling. But I think a lot of the time as hunters, we make a call and we think, oh, the bull didn't like it, he's not responding. Or I'm bugling when that bull's responding, but he's not responding back to me. He must be call shy, he might be this, he might be that. When the truth of the matter is, that bull just can't hear what you're saying. When it comes to calling or bugling for elk, I think about calling spots a lot like I do thinking about glassing spots. So I'm trying to get a position where I can cover the most ground, from one spot. So think about if you're going to a a knob to glass, I wanna be at a a good vantage where I've got a good lay of the land. I can look over a lot of things and potentially cover more country from one place using my optics. The same goes for when it comes to calling elk. I like to pick spots where I can cover the most ground in the shortest amount of time with the sound from my location bugle. So I can know if I'm making a call it's likely to be heard. And I'm likely to hear something back. So I have places or canyons that I just regularly hunt. And I found these specific spots where it has everything that I need. And in those spots, I get a lot more bugles or responses, not because there's more elk there, but because I've picked a spot where the sound can travel, I can hear something, maybe it's from the other side, maybe down below, and they can hear me. And because of that, I'm going to find a lot more success in those calling setups when I start my elk hunt so there's a couple examples of these kind of locations that i look for and what i'm kind of uh trying to find in ways of getting that sound of the elk and getting that sound back to me so the first is that amphitheater so that's just probably the best place to to start calling from and it's where you get that effect of you're sending your sound out and it's traveling a long distance and these areas if you look one of the best ways pull out your topo map right and find something that actually looks like an amphitheater. You'll find these basins that's got this head shape on it. So in the last, in the story, the, the five theaters, it's a, it's a main ridge and then off that ridge is finger ridges. And what it's doing is, is each one of those areas creates like this on the map, like these little basin features. And what that is, is like, that's an amphitheater. If I'm at the top of that and I'm projecting down, it travels throughout that whole area. So when I crest over that ridge, I hear that bull bugle and it's like, geez, he's right here. When in fact, he's a little bit further up and across the way, but it sounds like he's right there. If I'm just gauging where that elk is based on the the amplitude of sound, I'm going to come up short and guessing where he's at because he sounds like he's right here because it's so loud. But think about calling from those locations. The bull is going to be a lot easier to hear if I start out in those areas where I I produce that bugle, I produce that sound, and it's traveling throughout that whole canyon where it's easily heard, and and I can probably hear back as well. That amphitheater topography can really be approached from a couple different ways. So you can go from top, like start from the top, or start from the bottom. Now, I prefer to work from top down because it's just a little bit easier to move in on the elk because you're, you're walking downhill, but it also depends on the wind. So a lot of times, if you think about the way elk move in the mornings and evenings, let's say you're just you've got one basin that has this this feature for the most part, they're going to be doing like the elk did in the story, where they're starting in the evening downhill and working uphill. Um, if the wind is against you and the thermals are against you, it can be very hard to to have this work out where you don't get winded. On the flip side, you might be chasing the bulls, but I try to gauge which side of the canyon, if I'm if I'm starting out from the bottom or starting out from the top, based on the way that the elk tend to be moving. Um they they trend uphill in the mornings and trend downhill in the evening. It's just kind of a a thing that elk tend to do. It's, it, it's mostly based on feed and it's not necessarily what the bulls are wanting, but during the rut the bulls are following those cows those cows are especially in those weird times of the rut where they're like hey we're, do- we're going to do our normal pattern thing we're going to go eat we're going to eat grass we're going to eat what we like and then the bulls are in there being like no we're going to breed and i'm going to take control of this herd so finding where that that pattern works and then picking out those locations in that amphitheater to create the sound that's going to be able to get your call heard and hear back another thing i look for when it comes to sound is what i call this echo effect so this is an area where that echo can cover more ground. It's, I bugle and I hear, that, I hear that sound bouncing off something, bouncing off something, bouncing off something. I love finding places to call where I get good sound travel. It's like it's going up and down multiple canyons and it's, it's reverberating back to me. It allows that call to live longer. When that call is living longer, it's reaching more distance, it's reaching more ears, and I'm probably gonna be able to hear something back a lot better it can be very difficult to actually pinpoint where that sound's coming from, especially if you're in timber and you've got somewhere where you get that echo effect. You're like, okay, it's over there, or (laughs) did I just hear my call back to me? But having that echo, um, I seem to get more consistent responses than a spot where I bugle and that sound stops short. If you think about... Uh, calling just like you would glassing. You know, if you can only see 200 yards, well, that's the amount of ground your sound is effectively covering. But what if you could extend that to two miles, to a mile? There's places where you can bugle, and you'll hear a bugle from a mile away. So finding those locations, looking at a map and kind of thinking about it, like how is my sound going to travel, or throwing out locations and marking places like my sound travels really good here this is a good place to start in those best times of day I'm getting this crazy echo it's bouncing between good productive calling areas and so I can cover more country in less amount of time during those peak hours when elk might be active depending on weather and other things sometimes they're just going to only be active for that half hour before sunup and maybe that half hour before sundown So being in those good places where you can cover the most country and just try to locate where those elk are at is a really good strategy when it comes to starting off your day during the elk season with a call. Then what I'll do is once I've found places that have really good sound travel, I'll I'll kind of like mark those places or if it's an area, I do this in areas where I've never hunted before, right? I I find areas it's like, okay, I think on the map, this looks like a good spot to call from. This looks like a good spot to call from. I go, I, I get into the field, I test it out it is then i'll just mark like a lot of places that are like that and i'll try to hit those in those really productive times until i get a response so i might be moving a lot but just going from calling location to calling location and seeing how that sound travels now this also is going to relate to calling frequency and this idea of overcalling. you know you you hear like maybe you've been with someone and it's like they're calling all the time it's like man you're calling too much i've I remember reading so many articles on overcalling. I'm like, what does that even mean? Because for me, you know, if if it's an area where the sound's traveling really good, then you don't need as many bugles. But what's not everywhere is like that. You can't cover the entire unit like that. So on a recent hunt where last year I actually shot the biggest bull in my life, I bugled and had to bugle. I would say probably 150 yards away. That bull could not hear the bugle in the distance of 150 yards because of the topography of the hill, the amount of vegetation, and the way that that sound traveled. That bull didn't hear my first bugle. If he would, he would have bugled back. I would have heard him and would have called him in. 150 yards down the trail, I bugled again. And now I'm bugling every 150 yards, why is that? Well, it's because I know that my sound is not traveling as far as it is in other areas when i got across canyon a good echo a good sound vantage and amphitheater i was just in a flat Well, not it wasn't flat but like a mountainside of trees where that sound is just stopping short if you've got a hunting buddy a good way to decide how far that sound's traveling is say hey wait here i'm going to go 300 yards up we'll bugle to each to each other try it you'd be surprised sometimes how far you can hear a sound and how sometimes sounds lost in a very short distance. And what that is, is it's introducing those things like blocks that I talked about, maybe ridges, maybe vegetation, maybe a combination of both. So being very understanding of how sound travels and what blocks that sound is gonna kind of help you determine, is what I'm hearing, let's say you're working a bull, right? And he's bugling, 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 and then just shuts up. The sun's starting to come up and he's like, he, he went silent. Did the bull go silent or did he just go out of sound being able to decipher that what kind of blocks are in the area maybe it's all timbered but you can look at your map and say man there's a ridge here it sounded like he was here then he was gone i didn't hear him again well maybe he went over that ridge and you need to get over that ridge he's still bugling he's still workable but he was just out of earshot because if you can't hear him he can't hear you you can never call in a bull that doesn't hear your sound So in those areas where there's a lot of vegetation, sound isn't traveling well or traveling far, you need to keep throwing out those calls because an elk probably did not hear your call before. Like I said, one of the biggest bulls I've ever killed was because I was using the right amount of calling. In an area where he couldn't hear well, I had to continually call. In an area where they can hear real well, then I can decrease the amount of calling or interact with the bulls that I do hear. But... I want to make sure to do those sound checks in every mountain fold or every little piece of broken country that I think I couldn't hear in or might not be heard as I'm moving through new country. So if I'm in real broken country with a lot of dips and a lot of things, I'm going to probably call more often or when I get into that new area, like in the in the example of the five theaters, every time if I was just hunting that and didn't know where the bulls were, every time I would get into a new canyon, I would get into a good spot where that sound would travel and I would let that bugle out. If I did it on the other side of the ridge, I would I would go to the next ridge and do that same thing and really work that area well with good coverage of sound. I think one of the last important factors to understand about the way sound travels in the mountain is as you get more encounters or maybe you're, you've hunted a long time, you've probably recognized that there's this thing that happens is sometimes as a bull gets closer, as he comes in, as he's making those final approaches he actually sounds more quiet he's more muffled because he's on your same level that's not that sound isn't traveling like the amphitheater he's in the seat five seats down think about being in a movie theater and there might be someone on your row talking right but if there was a guy talking up front maybe you'd hear that guy uh way further away that sounds louder but the guy that's on your same level or a lot closer might sound like more um, more muffled in a weird way of the acoustics of the mountain. And that definitely happens with bugling bull elk. You'll hear one across the Valley. He sounds close. And then as he moves in or gets closer, it, it kind of gets this more muffled sound. That's oftentimes a good indication that he's actually a lot closer, uh, and start paying attention to the way that that sound plays out as you start calling an elk. You're going to start to find that you're a lot more prepared and making the right calls and the right moves because you know exactly where that elk is. It can be very difficult sometimes to pinpoint a bugling bull. I don't know how many times I've been on the mountain, we hear a bugle, there's three of us, and we all point different directions. I don't know if you've ever experienced that, but you're like, okay, what people hear is sometimes they hear the echo, like if it's an area where you you understand hey sounds traveling a long ways here they're hearing where the echo is bouncing from so they go it's over here and the guy's like no the sound would have originated from over here it it kind of throws the sound in a weird way but understanding how sound works in the mountains is going to make you a lot more effective at pinpointing the elk getting into position making the right calls at the right time and ultimately getting more bulls to come into your setup, because you, you don't have a lot of opportunities to make mistakes sometimes. You do one little thing wrong, you go the wrong direction, you jump over the wrong ridge, you misinterpret what's going on, and that might be the difference between losing the elk or going home with a bull or not. You know, So there's one other thing that I'd like to talk about, and it's just the idea of something, did it shut up or did you hear down? you know, what happened in deciphering that is, did it go over the ridge? Is it just out at earshot? One good way to understand well what maybe an elk is doing or, or how this elk is operating is kind of deciphering how's the sound of that same bull changing. So if you're new to elk hunting and you're like, I want to get out, I want to get archery hunting, and you start to hear you've never heard bugles or maybe you're a longtime elk hunter, I think this is one of the things that really goes through my head is is understanding what that bull's saying and where he's at and and why the sound's so different. So one thing you're going to encounter is you're going to encounter this thing where a bull bugles and it sounds real loud. It's like, oh, he's right here, right? And then that bull sounds far away. So you think, ah, that bull's going away. And then maybe a little bit later, you hear it kind of loud again. And you're like, what's going on? Well, what that, that bull's doing is he's on a ridge. I would generally say that when a bull does that, he has cows on the other side. So he doesn't wanna lose those cows. And what he's doing is he's, he's bugling on your side as a location or a challenge or whatever he's doing to cover that. And then he's going back and bugling at the cows that are there and then he's coming back. And eventually what's gonna happen is he's gonna go with that cows. But what it does is it gives you an idea of why that bull isn't committing. It's the change in this sound. It's loud to quiet, loud to quiet. So he's on a ridge. He feels like he controls this a lot more country and those elk know how sound travels and elk can pinpoint where you're calling from so well. It works two ways. It works on you being able to pinpoint a bull and a bull being able to pinpoint you. When he does that, when he's bugling over here and bugling over there, and that sounds changing, what he's doing is he's moving into those different sound zones. He's moving into, he's going from theater A to theater B. He's calling to those elk that are probably there and trying to pick up any cows that maybe he thinks you're calling to as well. In those scenarios, I like to move in. I I decide, okay, he's there. I know that he's not coming my way because it's a weird deception where you think it's loud. He's coming my way. And it's like, yeah, he's going away. Now he's coming my way. What's going on? In those scenarios, I like to move in, I like to get aggressive and get closer, try to get on that ridge because sooner or later, he's gonna be one or two ridges away moving those cows and you're gonna lose sound, and you're gonna lose that animal and you're gonna think, oh, they went quiet. When in fact, they just went out at earshot. They don't hear you anymore and you don't hear them. I feel like I could probably write about three books on understanding sound and then incorporating in the types of calls to make, when to make those calls and I think this is a lot of stuff that we're going to cover. I know people have thought, like, are you ever going to run out of topics? I'm like, I could probably talk for 100 hours on this one particular thing. There's so many more things that are involved. So as we get closer to September, we're definitely going to ramp up some of the elk calling and elk, elk tips and tactics for archery season. And then obviously go into some rifle season tactics as well. I love talking about calling elk and, and that vocal aspect of elk hunting. Whether you're a bow hunter or not, or maybe you're just like thinking about getting into Western hunting. I feel like these kind of things are something that I wish somebody would have told me when I, when I got started. I, I think back and man, think, man, there were so many opportunities I messed up where I ended up bumping a bull that I thought was further away because it sounded further away and didn't realize that the difference in ways that sound travel. I didn't even think about paying attention to it until a lot later on. And once I started to pay attention to the way that sound traveled, and really understand it, It's like, man, when I would get a a bugle, there's very few elk that could get away because I would understand what they're doing, the types of calls to make, and how to interact with that particular bull. And that's made me so successful over the years. So I think that we'll definitely dive more into this tactic in the future. I really appreciate everybody that's... that's, So much support is crazy. Like when we relaunched this podcast, um, getting so many awesome messages, people that have been stoked that it's back. So I just want to thank you guys honestly, for, for subscribing, for the comments. Please keep sharing it. You know, I, I'd love to I love to be able to, um, if, you, if you're listening to it or whatever, I'll, I'll re- try to repost some of that stuff. As well as just, uh, there's so many awesome comments that I've received uh, over the last couple of episodes. So thank you guys so much for leaving those comments and ratings. That, that does really help. And, and just subscribing and, and listening and sharing it. I can't ask for anything more. I, I really do appreciate that. One thing that I really am excited about is we're going to be doing some Q&As because I want this to be as much about what I want to talk about as what you guys want to learn about. And I've found that asking questions and being able to answer those is a really good way to kind of cover a lot of topics that maybe won't get covered in a, in a single podcast. So I'm going to be doing the Q&As a little bit different. We're going to, I want to be able to have you guys call in so I can talk to you in person. I've got it set up where... We've got a call line. There's, you know, kind of waiting room. When you call in, you can hear everything that el- else that's going on. And then I'll field questions and we'll cover those questions. The times and everything, you can find them on social media. So I'll be putting that on Instagram. And if you don't, I do have an email list on my website, remywarren.com. You can go and sign up for that if you aren't. That'll just keep you a little bit more apprised to some of this kind of stuff also because i think mailing lists are kind of a pain sometimes like you know you sign up for a mailing list, you're like, i don't want a bunch of junk mail i try to make them pretty valuable so everybody that's even on that i try to do some kind of giveaway almost not every time but almost every time that we send something out to. so it's it's a way of just like giving back to you guys that support me in, in a way that i can kind of manage it because i think on social media it gets like there's just too many people on there. and then i still do it on there too but um, I think I'm mailing us is just an easier way for me to control some of the giveaways and stuff like that. So feel free to sign up for that. But also, you know, just if you have Instagram or Facebook or whatever, you'll, you'll find out when those times are. So I'll try to probably go live with it as well, where I can go live so you can see what's going on and hear it and maybe get people to prompt to call in. But I'd love to talk to you about hunting. That's one of my favorite things to do is talk about hunting. And to be honest, I prefer to talk to people about hunting. Um, I love answering questions, so you can ask me anything. Uh, If something gets crazy, it's not actually being broadcast live. So that's just one way to think about it. They aren't broadcast live, so you got to figure out when the call-in time is. But I'll keep you guys posted on that. So it'd be awesome to be able to talk to you, talk about hunting, talk about tactics. I'm really, really excited about that portion of it. I think it's going to be probably my favorite, and I hope that you guys enjoy it as well. And I'd love to hear your feedback of things that you want to hear on the podcast because that helps me build this out and make sure that I'm, I'm checking a lot of boxes of things that people want to learn in the vein of giveaways. We've also got a launch giveaway for the podcast with a couple of partners that are helping get this podcast going. And I'm really excited about it. The prize package is valued at over $4,000 and there's some really incredible stuff in there. So there's a stone glacier sky 7,900 pack, and then a really cool opportunity to win a lifetime membership to the mountain tough, Uh, they've got the app and so what this is is like the heavy pack training it's a fitness training app that's designed for hunting designed for wearing a heavy pack and you've got a lifetime subscription to all their um, assets so you've got pretty much a personal trainer ready and designed for getting out in the mountains and it's been awesome to partner with those guys and then i'm also throwing in a gerber TerraCraft knife that i'm going to throw my signature on so um, that's pretty cool as well so you can go go to on Instagram, I'll put a link in my bio and then I'll just have the link there for that where you can get signed up for that. So if you guys want to win some stuff, there's the opportunity out there and I think that's a pretty cool prize and I'm stoked that uh, able to work with those companies and able to get this podcast out there and as well as be able to give stuff to you guys as well. So go check that out and uh, yeah, one of you will win. I'll be excited to announce it. Thank you guys so much. Until next week, let's just say... Keep your ears to the mouth. Catch you all later.